to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview the grandson of World War II veteran Richard Burt and his journey towards restoring a rare, one-of-a-kind recording, Jason Hello, everybody. This is Leander from Improv Exchange. Today, we have a different type of episode with a special guest, Mr. Jason Burt. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Leander. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. This is a great story. I'm glad to be part of it. I'm pretty sure the people who listen to this podcast will find it very interesting. Could you please tell us about yourself? Uh, my name is Jason Burt. I am a, a middle school history teacher and... Uh, I'm a historian and I'm working on a jazz history World War II project involving my grandpa, who's a Juilliard musician. And uh, I think it's noteworthy to say that I can't even read music, but here I am on a jazz podcast. <laughs> now, that's great. So you can't read music, right? You never wanted to play an instrument? You never picked it up? No. So when I was a kid, so my grandpa's the Juilliard trumpet player. Uh, everyone in my family plays an instrument. Everybody. And so when I was a kid, I was the jock and uh, my brother was forced to learn an instrument and read music. My sisters were. And for whatever reason, my family thought, you know, he's OK just shooting a basketball in the driveway and nobody bothered to make me do it. OK, well, at least you're passionate about something. But tell us about your grandfather, Richard. So what's so special about Richard right now? Uh, so he was. A musician his whole life, trump player, grew up, and that was pretty much, he knew he was going to do that, something with music his whole life. And so uh, he practiced his craft forever. And in World War II, he was uh, in the Army Air Force Band and learned from some of the greats in Hollywood recording when he was stateside. And they were in uh, major big bands, and uh, he learned from them for a year and uh, got shipped out to the Philippines during uh, the uh, Pacific campaign. And uh, they made an album while they were out there before the war ended. And so he took these recordings home and was kind of the steward of these recordings for 75 years. And uh, he passed away and we came across them and uh, now we're creating an album with them. Okay, well, so how long is the album? How many tracks roughly? So there's 10 tracks plus one where he dives deep into uh, his music career during World War II, meeting all these uh, big band guys and stuff. So that's about 28 minutes and there's 10 tracks. And uh, so there's Moonlight in Vermont, Sentimental Journey, Trumpet Rhapsody for all the Harry James lovers, uh, Perfidio, I'll Remember April, You Are But a Dream, Long Ago, East of the Sun, T for Two, and Moon Glow. Nice. Very popular songs during the time. And a lot of them are in the real books. So a right. lot of the jazz fans would love that, I personally believe. So the other thing that I like to mention is how much of a, how much importance, I would say, the military was with spreading jazz throughout the world and how at least the Pacific Campaign brought it up to Asia Europeans, it was huge in Europe during the time. So what actually made him enlist? So he uh, enlisted, and it's, it's a funny story. So 
1943. I mean, a lot of people just enlisted and his dad was on the draft board. So he was just waiting to get drafted and he got drafted. And uh, he went to a place near Salt Lake called Camp Kearns for basic training. And by sheer luck, a buddy of his that he grew up with who was in the band there uh, got his serial number and that uh, got him into the band. Like he wasn't even going to be in the band. He was a great musician, but he was going to be a latrine technician digging ditches somewhere for uh, somebody to fill. <laughs> That's one of the jobs you don't want in the military, I would say, but. Yeah, really. Wouldn't you rather be playing your trumpet than digging a ditch? <laughs> so he, his friend gets him into the military band. And from there, how does he end up in the Pacific? So from there, he goes uh, down to uh, Riverside. He's at March Field. And March Field is just the ultimate in big bands. Like, they have parades and everything. And this is where all the Hollywood recording uh, studio musicians are and all the guys who are in big bands. Uh, this is where they all are. And they're going to stage stateside. So he's just soaking up all this information and practicing and learning from these guys. Uh, his whole life, he was first chair trumpet everywhere he went. But uh, down at March Field, he was second and third trumpet. And so he, he did a lot of learning and soaking in knowledge down there and practicing. And he did that for about a year. And about 11 months into his time there, uh, a call came in. They were forming a band to go overseas to the Pacific. And they went, they wanted somebody with a sergeant's rating. So somebody who was higher qualified with a higher rating than him probably been playing trumpet longer and uh, all those guys were married. So my grandpa went over to the chief warrant officer's office and said, you know, all these guys are married. I want to go. Can I take their place? And the warrant officer said he could. So that's how he ended up overseas with his band. Well, that's also very more honorable of him to take someone's position over there. So did he play with anybody famous over there? Well, wow, before he got shipped out, anyone known? Uh, you know, I'm still researching on the guys he played with uh, stateside. Those guys would have been well-known. Uh, I just found an interview I did with him. There's probably more on it. I haven't gotten through all of it. The The guy who actually, that warrant officer who approved him going over there, is uh, he's an OG from uh, Pershing's own band, one of, one of the originals. Of, he said he was a famous trombone player in the interview. So I'm trying to dig up information and find all these names and stuff. But yeah, stateside, he would have been playing for big names. Okay. Well, I know you said in other interviews and other stuff before that you mentioned other artists, jazz artists that got saved from going to the front lines because of their musical talent. Yeah. So uh, that, that many times in World War II, we always hear about the the wrong place at the wrong time. People just getting wiped out just because where they were standing. And for a lot of musical artists, uh, they were in the right place at the right time. And uh, Dave Brubeck was one of those. He was a marksman, like a brilliant soldier. Uh, could clip the wings off a fly from 100 yards. Brilliant soldier. So he was going to go to war. And he wasn't Dave Brubeck yet. And so he gets shipped off to Europe just after Normandy. And he's at a training or a recruiting de- training depot. And uh he's about to go to the front with Patton's army and just by sheer luck, uh, the red cross showed up with some ladies and they needed a piano player. And Dave Brubeck hops on the piano and a Colonel heard him and said, you're staying here and we want you to form a band. So a a lot of those guys, uh, the big name jazz guys who were in world war two, 
music changed their life in World War II, and they put their life on a whole different trajectory towards music and musical careers after. So, yeah, World War II. Without World War II, I don't, I don't think my grandpa would have gotten where he was musically. Okay. Well, did he do anything major after Juilliard? He was in the, the Drake Symphony Orchestra, and he chose to pursue education. Uh, I don't know why exactly. Uh, being in education myself, it's a, it's a difficult place to be in. Um, so, and there's, there's far more glory in being a musician, I think, too. But uh, that's the kind of person he was. He wanted to teach and, and uh, do that kind of stuff and help people uh, learn their craft. He's actually got a great story, his favorite story of, from teaching music. Uh, and he taught elementary school and middle school students was uh, when people would ask him if any of his students uh, ever went pro. And he would always say, yeah, Steve Sachs, he played second base for the Dodgers. Steve Sachs is <laughs> baseball player. Yeah, I know. That's still an accomplishment, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, one other thing I would like to say about at least the military part is that my trombone player, who's been on my first five albums, is currently serving with the Air Force Band with the Wings of Dixie. He's stationed in Germany. And one of my main, main percussion teachers was actually in Pearl Harbor. He was on the SS Ulaga. And that was one of the first ships that got bombed when the Japanese came. He is that actually, right? Yeah. He got hit off the boat, like, because... He heard the alarms and everything. He came off to the deck. Torpedo hit the side of the boat, and he got flown off. And then, yeah, he don't remember much after that. Oh, shoot. That is so crazy. I, well, I don't know how you yeah. – I mean, you have that experience, and you just got to put it on – I mean, if you're a writer, you put that on paper in writing. But if you're a musician, I'm sure that just comes out into your playing the rest of your life, right? Oh, it came out in his playing. I mean, he got to meet – tons and tons of the famous artists around that time from duke ellington to louis armstrong he has letters from them and it was one of those things that i never really believed until he decided to invite me over just to punk me and i was just like <laughs> oh yeah pictures with the presidents and all that stuff and he retired a chief warrant officer for i believe so oh wow he was up there and Here's one. Since you are actually a history teacher, do you know who Frank Holt is? Not off the top of my head. Okay. He was the chief percussionist for John Philip Sousa's band. That was his teacher. Oh, no way. Yeah, so pretty much every single march was drilled into me by this guy. I had to play it certain ways, certain stick motions, all that stuff. And then he would tell me the stories behind every single one of those marches, why it was written, how it was written. And since this was happening when I was like in my early teens, unfortunately, I never really took it serious because I wasn't really the best music student. So there are numerous stories that he was telling me that, I should have took down, should have paid more attention to that are probably lost now. You know, isn't that the way it goes? I, I've said this with my grandpa all the time. Uh, growing up, I mean, he was a great trumpet player and I didn't even realize it until I was much older. Like he was just background noise when I was a kid and I'd say, oh, that's grandpa playing the trumpet. Everybody sounds like that. And so, 
you hear him and you hear him every day because he watches every day and he's just like, eh, it's Grandpa playing his trumpet. But uh, one of these recordings, uh, he's got a trumpet solo, uh, Moonlight in Vermont. And I didn't hear that until I was 20. And the first time I heard it was the first time I actually heard my grandpa. Like I heard him uh, playing the trumpet and it was just amazing. So how did you feel like that? Did it make you like, uh, then you realize your grandpa is that good at something. Yeah, no, it made me proud because, you know, he music was his whole life. And I mean, I didn't know that like, he couldn't even read English language until he was in high school. But he was he could do all that on a on a trumpet. Just just knowing that when you're older and looking back, I mean, when you're a kid, you just don't appreciate that stuff. Like like you say with uh, your, your teacher, he's like, yeah, he's just trying to, to punk you or to pull yeah. one over on you. You don't really believe it and stuff. And so. Uh, just to hear it when you're older and look back, it just makes you wish you appreciated it more when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So one other question about your grandfather now. So he is with the band and what makes him decide to record it? The fact that they were just going to disband the unit? Yeah, I think so. The war was ending and I think they just wanted to get together and play is how his story is told to me. Um, they had a guy there who, uh, had some recording material. They would, they would have been recording on wire over there and they just laid down 10 tracks and with some locals around and a couple GIs. And, uh, that was that my grandpa asked the, his CEO, if he could have them. And the guys, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal with anyone else there, but my grandpa loved music and wanted a copy of it and said, can I have that? And the guy said, yeah. And so he took these home and put them on record back in 1946. And they just stayed there, not played or anything? He had them and he played them. And he so he had these more for like his own personal history kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't for anything like what I'm trying to do with them to raise awareness about bands and stuff in the military. Uh, it was more for his own personal enjoyment to look back on his own history and stuff. Because he's got recordings of him at Juilliard and when he was at Drake University too. And so he just brought these home for, home for, his, for his posterity. And... They were just in the attic, and in the 80s, he decided to talk about the war and stuff and recorded himself talking about it and took uh, two of those songs, which he's a prominent soloist in, and put them on tape in the 80s. And the, those, are, those are the ones I have right now. We're actually going to make the album here pretty soon. But, yeah, so he just had them for himself and just wanted to share them with his family. He didn't think they were a big deal at the time. Didn't think they were a big deal at the time. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, actually, just one other side question. Do you know when he went to Juilliard? What years? Yeah, so I pulled his uh, his Juilliard diploma in here with me, just in case you asked me. It was 1953. He'd have been there for two years, so 51 to 53. Mm, okay. Uh, people listening, I want you to name two people who went to Juilliard during that time. They're actually really big. And do you know them by any chance? You know, I want to say Miles Davis was before, am I right? Yes. Um, I'm losing the other one. I even looked him up too. You're going to have to enlighten me. I'll tell you after. I just actually want to see if people know. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you get the recordings and how are you going to, what actually made you decide to go this route? Are you going to preserve them? You reach out to, who did you reach out to? So when I first came across them in the attic, we were, we were all really surprised they were there. And then I had to see if they worked. So I've played them one time and uh, found out they worked and decided, you know, this is probably pretty rare. So I researched them 
uh, you can find zero recordings on the internet of anyone saying they have recordings of a frontline military band from World War II. Like there's plenty on Glenn Miller and all those guys who were doing shows in the big cities behind the lines and stuff, but nothing on a frontline band. So uh, I contacted the World War II Museum and was like, hey, would, it, would this being an album, would this be of interest to you? Would you think this would sell and get people to learn more about frontline bands? And they emailed me back and they said, yeah, we're interested, but we don't make music. And so then it became on me to kind of figure out how to make this album. And so I had some back and forth emails to the, with them. And uh, the guy said something along the lines of, uh, whatever you do, the album can't look amateurish, even though that's what these guys are, they're amateurs. And so that kind of changed the direction of the whole project. Like I was just, at the time I was thinking small and I was like, yeah, World War II Museum, historical people will think this is cool. Let's just put it on the shelf. But if you just put something on the shelf like that, people are going to pass it by because they're not Glenn Miller. They're not uh, Artie Shaw or anyone else. It's just a frontline band of amateurs. So then it evolved into this idea of, you know, what if we can make this rare recording of World War II frontline band guys, these just amateurs, what if we could make them a platinum selling artist? And that was kind of the take on this whole thing was that's how we're going to get uh, these guys some recognition and frontline bands and what their role in the war was. Like it, that's one of the most unique projects I ever heard of because like you said, I don't know a single one, even my old teacher, he had albums from the bands way back then. Like, once again, albums and recordings that were lost. Songs yeah. that even when I looked them up today, I can't find any trace of them. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. It's, it's, like I said, amazing. So you're literally listening to the past and you're literally yeah. hearing it in the Philippines during World War II. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to release them? So... These guys being amateurs and stuff like that, it's, it's it, I feel like this all kind of came together at the right moment for it to actually happen and for this thing to be this project to be successful because it's the 75th anniversary of the album being done. They recorded it 75 years ago. World War II ended 75 years ago. Yeah. Losing World War II vets on a daily basis in, in bucket loads, right? There's, I think it's like 600 a day are dying just from old age and stuff. And so it's all coming together at the same time. And uh, the the time frame I'm on is to release for Veterans Day this year, which is, I mean, World War II, 75 years later, Veterans Day release. It's, it's all coming together to, to make for a real special occasion. And I hope that it does well, because like I said, it's something that I suggest everyone gets a chance to listen to. I mean, if you give us permission I would like to play at least 30 seconds of it at the end of the podcast so people could at least know what it sounds like. Oh, yeah, for sure. And last thing I must say, so how do you personally feel about it? About the project or the album or all of it? Or my grandpa or... Your grandpa. Now that you know this much about him, and unfortunately you found out about this part of him after the fact, how does that affect you? You know, it's when I hear it, the the actual music affects me tremendously because when I actually hear it, I can just close my eyes and listen to the trumpet and it's like grandpa's in the room with me playing for me. So it's like he's not even gone. But the 
it's it's just music has a way of just having a deep connection and that's that's really what this album does it's just a deeper connection with me and my grandpa especially since i wasn't the music kid i mean he had tons of musical grandkids and kids and i was i was the black sheep but we had a special relationship just because of that i think but in in this sense of me being able to do something with music and history for him uh it's really special to me because i see it as uh, my contribution to his musical legacy when i couldn't do anything before as far as musical talents okay okay and one last thing uh, sorry i know but how did this guy practice did he ever tell you that when you're on the front lines oh yeah oh it's and you, you think about it i mean he doesn't he thinks of things in the context of music i mean he wasn't thinking as a soldier he wasn't much of a soldier so uh he's on the front lines and stuff and he's at his uh his little grouping within his tent and stuff and he didn't want to bother anybody and musicians would when they're downtime they'd play poker or pinochle or whatever but uh my grandpa was going to prepare for after the war so he'd spend hours upon hours every day just practicing and he'd sneak off into the jungle in uh in the, the middle of world war ii which is is nutty in the pacific because i mean people could have snuck up on you especially i mean if you're playing a trumpet, it'd be pretty easy to sneak up on, I would imagine, out in the jungle. So probably not the best thing to do, but that's how he got his practice every day out there was just sneaking off into the jungle or and uh, playing away for three or four hours a day. Well, like I say, that is amazing. And you're, there are many different types of heroes, especially in those situations. Not everyone's a person running into action with a rifle, shooting or you know, I don't want to say mailing people, but keeping the morale of the troops up is a very important during those types. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And it's, I mean, the, to be away from home and doing that kind of work, the, the frontline soldiers who are actually doing the fighting, it's, it weighs so heavily on those guys. And to have a band there who could play some music and make you feel like you're a little closer to home. I, I would imagine that those shows were just everything to those guys. And it, it was for the musicians. I know it was for the musicians. And he was what? When he enlisted? 18? 19? Uh, 19. So he was just a kid, pre-Juilliard and pre-everything. He was just a 19-year-old talent. So, yeah, Jason, tell us about taps. Because, as we know, trumpet players get the honor of playing taps for, you know, fallen comrades, fallen soldiers, especially at least uh, on the military bases every night. Go into it, please. So uh, playing taps, uh, my grandpa was a trumpet player, so he got to play taps. And so he played stateside for a, a very famous World War II pilot. Uh, he's one of the only guys uh, to escape from a POW camp. It's, it's the only escape from a POW camp in mass. So there was 12 guys that actually broke out of this POW camp in the Philippines and his name's Ed Dias. And he did some unreal stuff when he, before he was taken prisoner before the Philippines fell. And, uh, it's the story's called escape from Davo. And that's the prison camp over there in uh, the Philippines that these guys broke out of. So he did all these amazing things, won all these medals in the Philippines and came back stateside. And, they're at March Field, that place, that base in Southern California where my grandpa uh, learned from all these great musicians. And they would 
uh, take turns playing taps. And my grandpa would said they'd play three or four a month uh, each. So individually, they'd play three or four a month. And uh, his turn came up to play for Ed Dias, who died while he was down there. He was stationed down there again after coming back from being a POW and was on a training flight. And being the, the guy he was, I mean, he's just larger than life, World War II pilot, uh, was flying his plane, doing some maneuvers, and he had some trouble with his uh, plane. And he was heading for a, uh, a really populated area in the city. And he could have just bailed out, saved himself, and parachuted to safety, but his plane would have killed countless people. And so he went down with his plane in a, in a vacant lot just so to save all these civilians. And so he was a real hero. And uh, my, my grandpa got to play taps for him. And just to hear him, I have this on uh, interview with him. I did with uh, back in 2010 with my sister, just to hear him talking about taps and what it means to play taps. I mean, it meant so much to him to play music for those frontline guys, but playing taps for a trumpet player is just the ultimate in, in musicianship because you have to keep your composure no matter what, even though what's going on is, is extremely sad and you're responsible for the, the last goodbye for, for all these guys who passed away and, and died in combat or, or in accidents or in uh, Ed Dias' case, saving tons of civilians just because he didn't want to ditch his plane. So, yeah, TAPS is a really important thing to, to trumpeters and musicians and that in the military band. Wow, well, has not much I could say on that. <laughs> uh, anyone else that he played for besides him? That's probably the most noteworthy as far as like celebrity during the war. Uh, he talks about there. There's a lot of just emotional uh, things he talks about while playing. When I interviewed him, so, so he played taps, and uh, he loved to talk about the war and things like that. Because uh, he was in the band, he had a great time. Aside from being so close to the front, but he he had no problems talking to about it. Just like like other uh, World War II guys didn't want to talk about it. Could so you sh- did you share one more that he that he was willing to talk about with you? Yeah. So and this is the one he gets really emotional about. Um, so I asked him about Taps and who he played for, and he was talking about one of his first ones down there in the uh, Riverside where uh, March Field is. And the, the situation was just sad. Uh, so there was a, a captain who was with his wife and uh, baby, and they were driving somewhere on the base, and there was a plane accident, and the plane just went down and, and hit the car. Like, the, the soldier and the wife died miraculously. The, the baby survived. And so it's just this real tragedy. And so he has to play taps for this, and the 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 parents of the the soldier who died were sitting right next to him during this uh playing of taps and he starts to play and when i'm interviewing him and he's telling the story he must have forgot how emotional it was for him because he just started doing the breathy like i gotta get off this i can't talk about this we gotta change the subject but he got through the story and so he starts playing and the father of this soldier who died in this tragic accident is sitting feet away from him and just crying softly, like whimpering because his son and because of the music, I'm sure taps 
every time I hear taps, even if nobody's died, it, it does something to you emotionally. So this, this father is just doing this really soft cry and my grandpa's trying to keep it together. And while I'm interviewing him, he's interviewing him about it. He's saying, you know, is it was just so hard not to just stop what you're doing while you're playing taps. And cause you just wanted to go sit and cry with them because it was just heartbreaking. So playing taps is so it's, it's a privilege, but it's, it's also really tough on those guys to have to do that in a lot of situations. So, and that, that's really the part of the war that touched my grandpa the most was playing taps for people. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Well, do you know any artists that he liked to listen to? I do. So, and we have a lot of the same similarities as, as uh, so I grew up, I, I think I just gained the same preferences as him growing up. So he and I are both partial to trumpet players. He's a trumpet player. Uh, he was big on Louis Armstrong. He loved Louis and uh, Louis, Louis definitely my favorite trumpet, trumpet player. I can listen to anyone who's a trumpet musician and insert his orchestra as his band. Like any of those guys, Harry James, Louis Armstrong, all those guys. Um, for, for me, so music has a way of just grabbing your ear. Like you hear something and it'll make you turn your head because music can just grab your ear. But a trumpet, at least for me personally, a trumpet has a way of just grabbing your soul. Like even, even when my kids are sitting there watching the Disney Plus, but they're watching Aristocats, like even I have to stop and listen to Scat Cat play his trumpet. And, yeah, I was about to say, that's yeah. one of my favorite scenes of that whole movie. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh, man, like it just grabs your soul, right? So, yeah, trumpet players were uh, always at the top of our list and his list for sure. Did he like any of the jazz artists after the fact? Because I'd be the first to say my teacher hated Charlie Parker. He thinks that he, he literally get, went on several rants on he was the downfall of jazz. And the one day that someone was going to take him to see him perform, he sold his saxophone for drugs. So he had nothing good to say about that guy. He had you know, nothing think, good to say about a lot of those jazz artists during that time. I think my grandpa and your teacher would have got along just great because my grandpa was the same way. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a catch-22 because he also hated the Beatles. Oh yeah. My grandpa didn't go in for any of that stuff either. Okay. Was, so yeah. They... Yeah. He was basically <laughs> old school jazz back in his time. Uh, he would, he would dabble in uh, classical music too, but uh, always the jazz. It never, it never evolved away from jazz or any of the modern stuff. Definitely not the Beatles. Yeah. The F, yeah. If I could, <laughs> if I said the stuff that he would say about them. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he does have a picture with uh what's the name ringo who's that your teacher yeah he did have one with him really yes uh listen when i said that i thought he was full of you know what until he invited me over to his house yeah he so said what, what, what got him and ringo in the same room well he was what's it called he was put in charge of the united states navy show band in the 60s oh he was the founder if i'm correct but he would go around performing and then in the late 60s early 70s you know the beatles were huge right so he got to meet them and he said i don't understand how this guy is a popular drummer <laughs> he literally said he had no skills had no technique was playing basic rhythms and don't get me wrong he kind of was but <laughs> i'm like 
come on, guy, that's the Beatles. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's how all those guys are. Cause my grandpa was exactly the same way. You, you look at those, he would say the same things about the, the modern guys who play like in rock bands, like the drummers. And it's just like, there's no technique. It's just a repetitive thing. It's, it's not a whole lot of uh, skill going on with what they're doing. And yet they're really popular. And so I think that's why he always leaned towards uh, all the jazz greats like uh, Cozy Cole or Dave Tuff and guys like those. Well, at least I know that I was not alone when I was hearing that stuff. That makes me feel better. Yeah. No. <laughs> and one thing I will tell you is Louis Armstrong, there is supposedly a guy who claims he has a recording of a concert of Louis Armstrong that has never been heard before that was recorded in Europe. No way. Yeah, so we'll see if it's legit, and we'll see if it actually gets released soon. Where Where's that coming out of? Is it is it the guy from Europe, or is it coming out of the States? Or It's a guy from the States that claims he has it, and he already reached out to the Louis Armstrong house to in Queens to see what they want to do with it. Interesting. Yeah, but like I said, it's still not front lines. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, all, the, all those guys were, I mean... They put, they made stuff at the time in studios. Like you can hear plenty on those guys, but nobody was up on the front line. So, <laughs> well, before we go, man, I normally like to give a shout out and show our respects to the artists that came before us. So I'm going to tell you an instrument and two okay. artists. Choose one and tell us why. Okay. Okay. So on trumpet, Dizzy Gillespie or Louis Armstrong. Um. So both are fantastic. Uh, it's just Louis Armstrong's always done it for me my whole life. There's nobody like him. Okay, fine. I'll be nice to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> on saxophone, Archie Sarn or Jimmy Dozy? So for that one, it would be a toss-up. I kind of look at those two evenly, but I lean towards Shaw just because uh, he's a World War II Navy bandsman. So I got to lean towards Shaw. Mm -hmm. My teacher had pictures with him too. Man, I know he knew everybody. <laughs> not everybody, but he knew a lot of people during that time. And that was another one that was like, oh, you did meet him. On <laughs> <laughs> um, bass, Milt Hilton or Jimmy? Uh, no. Ah, you know what? Yeah, we'll do Mil Milt. Yeah, we'll do Hilton or Al McKimbo. Definitely going to have to go with Milton. So Milton, just because of his longevity and his staying powder, power, I mean, so when you talk about the GOAT in, in sports, I feel like that stretches over into music too. And that's that's one of those criteria you, you have for music and his recording career of 60, over 60 plus years. So Milton so, is going to be the GOAT for bass now? Yeah. Okay. When I get the next bass I get on, I'm going to see if he agrees. Just to see. <laughs> <laughs> On keys, Willie Smith or Fats Walter? That's another one where it's pretty close, but I mean, they both laid groundwork and stride, but I'm going to go with Fats Waller just because of his versatility. I mean, he's a pianist, an organist, composer, violinist, singer, comedic entertainer. I mean, what wasn't he? Okay. Plus, he ain't misbehaving. So, got to go with Fats Waller. Okay. On drums. Cozy Cole or Dave Tuff? Um, both talented. Really comes down to who has the better name for me, Cozy or Tough. So I'm going to lean towards Cozy 
because he played with Louis Armstrong and just because his name is Cozy. Both talented, though. Okay. And I'm just going to throw one more at you just because, you know, you're pro Louis Armstrong. So we're going to say Dizzy Gillespie or Miles Davis. I'm going to go Miles Davis just because, I mean, they're both trumpet, but I mean, Miles Davis has a special place when everybody's, he's so different from Louie, but, uh, and Miles Davis went to Juilliard too. So he, he's got a little special place over here too, since that's where my grandpa went. So I'm going to go Miles Davis. Okay. No problem with yeah. that, sir. So can yeah, you tell Huh? Being a be, being a musician yourself, you drums, right? Yes, percussionist all the way. Percussionist. So, wh- what's your take on Cozy or Dave? I'm gonna go with Cozy. Now, if okay. you're gonna t- give me someone from that era, 99.9 percent of the time it's gonna be Buddy Rich. But he was an, you know, he was a very nice guy. But he was, I mean, he helped out a lot of musicians. But he was a capital A, if you get what I mean. Oh, yeah, no, I can do it. <laughs> it kind of hurts to say that because that's literally my guy. When I say I have album after album after recording of this guy, yeah. that's why. So could you tell the people where to reach you, how to find you, all that stuff, your social media? So I, I operate the band social media on this project, and it's the, the 746. If you if you go on Twitter, it's at the 746 F-E-A-F band, 746 Far East Air Force Band. And it's the same thing on, if you go on Facebook, 746 Far East Air Force Band, F-E-A-F. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now play the 746th Army Air Force Band's arrangement of Trumpet Rhapsody, a song which was made famous by Harry James and his orchestra. At this time, I wish for you to imagine being in the Philippines days after the Allied forces claimed victory over the Empire of Japan. You will also hear Richard Burke performing the lead on his trumpet. Sit back and enjoy a moment of history.
sir. Thanks again. Thank you for doing this project. It means a lot to at least the jazz community, if not to the veterans and everyone from that era. Thank um, you. It's great. it's great to hear that. I'm definitely going to buy a copy. It'll be nice if everyone at least checks it out when it comes out and anchors away to my old professor. I salute your grandfather. And anything else you want to say before we go? Uh, no, just keep a lookout for us. And, and thanks for having me on. This is the first uh, jazz media we've done. So we're officially crossing over into the genre. So it feels good to be on. Well, sir, thanks again. Thank you for doing this project. Well, everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>